You're listening to The School Tea with Pool and D. I applaud you for what you guys are doing. I think this is an absolute great way to get the message out to people who, again, don't read contracts, don't see things, don't understand the politics and the laws of what's going on today and how to protect their children or how to protect themselves. If you need me for anything, you know how to contact me. I'll be there for you. Congratulations. I applaud you. Very proud of you. Bye now. Oh, thank you. Hey, 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 welcome back. Happy Thursday. You have just tuned in with another episode of The School Tea with Pool and D. Hi, I'm Pool. And I'm D. <laughs> How y'all doing today? The topic for today is teachers. We didn't know we wanted to call it teachers for today, how teachers are responding to today, teachers from in the past, were they better than teachers from today? But right now we're just gonna go into it about teachers. What is it about teaching? What is the role of a teacher? Well, we understand one of, one of the main things is being the instructional leader in the classroom. One of the other things that took part or takes part in being a teacher is being a school counselor, a surrogate parent, um, a mentor, a person who loves the children in their community. So is teaching just one thing? Of course not. But what is teaching now? Yeah, teaching now in the present <laughs> for if I had to put myself in the seat, you know, uh, teacher, teaching is trauma. Teaching is trauma because there's so much that goes into play when it comes to what a teacher has to do, what a teacher is required to do, and then what a teacher goes above and beyond and does and does and still don't get the respect in the process. So it's a thankless, disrespectful unappreciated, undermined, underpaid, uh, never satisfied in trying to do the job that you signed up to do, which is what? Ultimately, teach children and improve student success. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me give a little balance to that. So teaching is a civil service job that does a wonderful thing, which is ensure that the kids that we have that will future will, will in the future be running this country. Um, it is a thankless job a lot of times, but a lot of times you don't get that thanks until later on. Um, either when that student comes back and thanks you, or a parent writes a wonderful letter to your administrator or to you directly. Um, and this society today is very underpaid. Matter of fact, teaching has always been underpaid. I think it's been undervalued um, and now based on public, um, I guess you could say outcry from teachers and people who had to teach their kids during COVID, they realized that teachers were getting undervalued and underpaid. So it's a, it's a, it's a crazy, like a friend of mine uses the word conundrum. It's a conundrum because you have someone who wants to do what's great, um, get a degree, get certified, come out, um, educate the world. But at the same time, you don't make a livable wage. At the same time, you're asked to raise a child that's not yours and it's 30 of them in the classroom and you have two of your own at home. You're asked to um, do um, mentoring or do home visits, um, grade papers on your off time, um, prepare students for testing and that, that child may have come to you unprepared 
for the grade that they're in. But as a teacher, a lot of times we don't have an opportunity or a space to actually say, I can't or I won't. You have to just figure out how to. Yeah. Um, you know, giving all, given all of what you just said and just adding on to that, you know, I think for me, teaching became my fallback. When I walked, when I entered into the profession, I had dreams of being an attorney. I had dreams of uh, being an international lawyer, being able to speak Chinese and be able to, you know, go across seas and do all these great things. And um, then my mom was like, hey, come get this job. Because right now, in between your first year of law school, you need to work. And so I went into a sixth grade class, self-contained, self-contained for many of you know, that's, that's a generalist <laughs> that is in this day and time. And, um, you know, looking at those students and they gave me the students who had never passed the state exam before, never was even on grade level, right? Like I literally watched students who were in sixth grade who never passed third, fourth and fifth grade assessments that they were given. And, um, you know, I knew I had to make lemonade because again, they won lemons. They were just waiting to be squeezed. And so uh, giving them that opportunity, just pouring into them um, at the end of the year, I had a hundred percent passing rate on both the reading and the math in my class. Um, again, being a rookie on the block, I was harassed by my principal. And I do mean harassed. Why? Because I was unorthodox in my teaching. I didn't teach the way other people taught. I was, I was mentored by them and I understood because my mom was a teacher. But what I realized in the process was that these students um, needed something a little bit different than what they had been receiving. And so I was different. I was the different that they were going to get. I didn't treat them any differently, but I was the different that they were needing. And so going above and beyond, knowing at the end of the day, um, it is about children. It is about student success. It is how I live, I eat, I breathe, I lead with knowing that students can be successful regardless of where they are. Why? Because I did it myself. And so in this sense, you know, it's one of those things you'll never tell a teacher to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. And so the flip side of this is where um, I see teachers struggling, you know, so much, right? There are people who have entered in this profession. Why? Because because I said teaching became my fallback, it is my fall in love with and has been my fall in love with for yeah, the past 22 years, yeah. right? I will add that. But I see a lot of people come into this profession because they couldn't get a job somewhere else. They couldn't do something else. They didn't. And it's not that they were, it was absent of doing what was best for children. It's that, you know, there are special people who are being called to this work. And so even though we're saying teachers are leaving at enormous rates, some of these folks, um, yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it was time for you to exit. Yeah. This was just your make or break because see, when you get put in a fire and you don't have the skills to succeed in the fire, which means you want to support it. I, I understand the district didn't support you. You didn't have a mentor. You didn't have anything, anybody just that was coaching you and allowing you to be human in the mistakes that you were making. And so it became too much. But then there's also these teachers that are just, that are still here and they're still here. Why? Because they've been here. Yeah. And they've been here and they've seen it all. You know, one thing the teachers always say is and they'll tell an administrator, a superintendent, or any parent that walks in, I'll be here long, long after you have come <laughs> and gone. Yes. And, and that is not a threat. And I realized that, you know, when I heard it for the first time, it really isn't a threat. Mm -hmm. Why? Because, see, teaching you have to be called to. Mm -hmm. And getting fired from a teaching job does not allow you. Getting fired from a teacher job means you did one or two things. You you. You stole money. You were inappropriate with a child. Um, you you, uh, you test you, violations, test violations, and sped violations. Right. 
and that'll get you out of here real quick in a hurry. Correct, correct. So D says something is pivotal, that we, we're very pivotal, we need to look at. A lot of people go into education as a fallback. They may have wanted to go to law school or be a doctor or a pharmacist. And at the time, either they didn't have the funds or they couldn't pass the test or they're taking a break. That's not a negative. The negative is that um, if you're doing it and you don't fall in love with the job. I know that, that during COVID, what it did, it gave a lot of people an opportunity to reevaluate, is this something I want to do? And what you're seeing now is a lot of teachers who are working hard and due diligence in the process of educating these kids in this situation. And then those that do have sicknesses and illnesses, you know, staying at home, but then you do have a group that I don't know if I want to do this. And it may not be because the kids are behind. It may be because they were given time to reevaluate. Is this something that I was, was really chosen to do? And a lot of times when they publicize this on, on the news, they use the narrative of it being the pay or the narrative of the behavior of kids. And sometimes the narrative needs to be some people really didn't want to teach. And being off a year to two years gave them an opportunity to evaluate something doing something else and that's kind of what we're seeing I've, I've been polling you know different uh administrators that i know uh schools that i work in and what you can see is that some people just don't have the desire not because um the kids are you know out of hand but because it's not something that was really a, a fire or passion for them um and i've talked to some educators and i said you know hey i understand some of the kids have behavior issues and there are certain things that they missed in this gap that we had with not being in school. But a lot of my teacher friends, they had to admit that during this gap, they didn't do anything to enhance themselves either. So they're kind of de deficient when it comes to where they need to be as classroom teachers dealing with today's students. Saying that, we have to understand that things change. Students evolve the way our society evolves, and then our students change with our society. And therefore, as a classroom teacher, you have to evolve too. As a person in education, you have to evolve as well. What we're not seeing is a lot of people understanding that it's more than just instruction in a class. It is a lot of, I love this child. What do I need to do? Do I need to do home visits? Do I need to call a parent in? Do I need to sit down with that student and really look at what's really going on with this kid? Education hasn't really changed because when I was growing up and that was in the 70s and 80s, the same thing that I'm asking teachers to do now, teachers did then. The killing part about it was teachers back then actually would bring their own child to the school while they stayed after school with their students. So their child was doing their homework from their class and you were doing your work that they kept you after school to do so that you could be better. The difference now is we have so many people that have so many other things going on that it's not as in, entrenched in the, today's teachers as it used to be. It's not a desired feeling, I'll, I'll say, because the idea of wanting things outside, be it more a bigger home or a bigger car or whatever. And that, that takes me to the point of why you can't keep a lot of men in the classroom. Most men are defined as head of household. Classroom teacher pay does not indicate somebody being able to take care of a mortgage, two car notes, health insurance. So that's one of the issues that we have when it comes to why aren't there a lot of men, especially men of color in classrooms? So that's something we need to look at as teachers or as education as a whole. 
But when it comes to teaching, there has to be more than just someone who says, I'm giving this child instruction, that's enough. You have to have a heart for it. I used to laugh in my younger years when older teachers used to say, boy, you need to have a heart for this. This ain't something you just come and do. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I was like, what you mean? They're like, yeah, you good at, you know, classroom management. You good at organizing your stuff and you getting good. You getting good, they should tell me, at this instructional part. But you got to have some heart for this because it ain't always be what you think it's going to be. And and, and it took me a while. Um, And and I came from working in the juvenile and um, at risk field before I got into education. So I did have a level of patience patient, but I realized that you do have a have to have a heart for kids because you're going to get kids that are just coming from a home where they have two parents, but their parents work all the time and they don't have anyone to talk to. So they come to the school to talk. You're going to have someone who has a parent, single parent household, and that student does everything by helping the little brother or sister get ready for school. You're going to have a kid that's going to be in your class. They're going to be in foster care. And you're going to be like, what's wrong with this child? And not, not unbeknownst to you, this kid is living in the house and there's 10 other kids and it's a foster care situation and they don't know how long they're going to be here, but they're just engaged in the best way they know how. So if you're not a, a teacher who has the mindset and the heart to say, you know what, let me take the time to actually find out what's going on with this kid, it's going to be a hard road to hoe, as the old folks say. That's just kind of what I'm learning and I've learned over the years. Yeah, getting able, getting to a point where you're able to know your students. I think, you know, in present time, right? And I won't even say present time because a lot of it was happening before the pandemic. Um, students would come to teachers and teachers would pick and choose, you know. Um, again, one thing that a teacher should never do is allow yesterday to be today. <laughs> say that again. Yesterday. One thing teachers should never do is allow yesterday to be today. Um, whatever a student did yesterday, you do not hold them in contempt and guilty the next day. Why? Because again, you don't know where they came from yesterday and you don't know what they woke up to this morning, today. Um, The moment that I allow my feelings to get in the way with how I treat my students because of yesterday, then I am ineffective and I probably shouldn't be in front of them. It's no different if you're waking up with your your own child, if you you have children and you wake up with them. Yeah, I mean, there's days that we're mad at them, but we don't, you shouldn't be walking around with the same anger that you had the night before. You know, at some point, again, you are the adult in the situation. I'm saying again, you are the adult in the situation. And so, yes, they disappoint us. And you know what? It's okay to tell your student that you're disappointed. Letting your teachers, I mean, your students or your children know that you're angry with them for three days. You're angry. Like the initial response is anger. But if you actually start dialing back, there are a lot of things that you're probably angry about. You know, as a teacher, you're you're probably angry that the student didn't do their homework last night. But guess what? You weren't at the house with them to make sure they did it. So what fail safe did you put in place to make sure that they got it? Did you call that parent and say, hey, I'm sending homework tonight. I know DeAndrea has not turned in her homework for two days in a row. And so I'm just calling you to let you know I'm sending homework tonight. And the teacher said, well, I don't have time to do that for all my, te- all my students, but you have time to fail. Yeah. You have time to put the 50s in the grade book. And I know it's about accountability and responsibility, depending on what grade levels you are, but let me explain something to you. It doesn't matter the grade level. The expectations that we set for our children, they will always rise to the occasion as long as they know someone expects it and is investigating and evaluating and loving them through the process. And that looks different for every student. You don't treat your students the same way. 
But when we talk about, you know, the point where we don't have parent engagement, you know, that's probably the ongoing. If you tell as teachers, what could they do differently with a magic wand? They would say we would have all parent engagement. Well, I'm going to say it like this. And, you know, th and this is not really my opinion. It's just my a different perspective, right? This is a different perspective to see it from. If I wanted to go to, uh, if I wanted to have my student go to an affluent ISD, what do I have to get them? What do I do to get my student an affluent ISD? Well, I have to move to an, an affluent area for my student to go to an affluent ISD or a, student, a school district that's well known for high achievement, right? For whatever that need is, those parents had to move into that situation if it was not a magnet. So the first thing they did for parent engagement was do what? They moved into the neighborhood. So we don't know what it costs. We don't know. We don't know like what they had to give up, what they had to add on, what they were trying to do, but they knew they wanted to send their students to your school in that district. And you so happened to get DeAndrea in your classroom, but you don't know that DeAndrea's mama had to work three jobs. You didn't know that she had to actually, she has three other kids that she's caring for. You didn't know that again, she's still having to sell a car in order for her to stay and pay rent. And so when you say parent engagement, they were engaged, you know why? Because they knew they wanted what was best for their children. They did what was best. And I'm only saying that on a lower level because I know there will always be pushback as far as parent engagement because they're still responsible for their children. But yeah, they're still responsible for their children when their children are behaving. But when I'm sending my child to school and I don't have the time physically as a parent, or if I don't, if I don't know what to do, I'm still looking for guidance. And so you're holding parents accountable for something that you may not have done the, your due diligence and ensuring they knew. Again, remember, I told you I had sixth graders who had went through the entire system for at least six or seven years in school who had never been successful. Now, do I blame the teachers before them? Could. I do. <laughs> do I blame the parents before? Do I blame the parents who allowed this to go on? Could. I do. But then the question you have to ask yourself is, who, in order to hold somebody accountable, what is it that they knew they were supposed to be responsible for? And so that is why I'm saying sometimes we get so caught up on parent engagement, but they were engaged. They were engaged so much that they uprooted their lifestyle to move into a neighborhood for one. Now that the school doesn't accept them, the neighborhood didn't accept them, and the people that they moved away from thought that they, that they were now better than them. You don't understand the dichotomy of what people go through when they are trying to evolve, when they're trying to elevate not only themselves, but their children more so than not. So who are we when they come to us? You should say, well, you know what? They wanted to come to the best. So as a teacher, I have the desire, I have the love, I have the need, and I have to keep growing in order to make sure that I'm meeting DeAndrea where she is when she comes into my classroom. I think that a lot of times um, from what I've seen, over the years, a teacher loses certain levels of professionalism, depending on the community that they serve, uh, a school district that they work in. And what happens is they started looking at social behaviors versus maintaining their, their professionalism. And what I mean by that is you're concerned with if a, a child has a pair of Jordans versus continuing to educate a student and focusing on the fact that right now this, this student is deficient. How do I move this child? Your concern becomes, well, this child is late every day versus your professionalism saying, you know what, let me on my planning period take the time to call a mother or let me take the time to say um, I need to let the administrator know that I might need a cover, uh, somebody to cover my last period or let me leave a little earlier or I need somebody to go with me. So we can do a home visit. 
that's part of our job. But a lot of times, and I won't say a lot of times, in today's educational realm, we spend so much time looking at things and speaking on things that have nothing to do with us moving children or developing children or loving children. We're consumed with the fact that I don't have, they have, but I'm doing all the work. So it becomes a me against you. And as an educator, that shouldn't be when it comes to kids. It should be, what am I supposed to do professionally? Mm-hmm. And what am I doing from my heart to make sure that as I move forward in educating this child, I'm giving he or she everything they need. And I think it's gotten lost. And I understand a lot of it gets lost with our own personal situations and how we look at what's not um, in our favor, you know, and how. We keep getting things added to our place. And I do say we, and I'm saying that because I hadn't been in a classroom in about five years. But like I've said before, since this pandemic, I have been in the classroom every day, virtually every day for the last four to five weeks. And I've been able to say that some of the people that I've subbed for, they weren't COVID sick. They were just not willing to do the job anymore because their thing was, I have the time, I don't wanna do this, but I haven't found a way out yet. And that's not just unfair to me, it's unfair to the students because I've subbed in contents that I know nothing about, but I've had to do the research to try to get the work done. And it goes back to just being a professional. And it's hard for us to say, you know what? I do need to be a professional in this setting, even though it's COVID, even though I've gotten tired, even though, I'm not getting paid what I feel like I'm worth. That's not just in our industry. I, I looked around and, and, and if you notice, jobs are opening up in other industries. People are smooth moving around and I get it. But when it comes to education, I always use this narrative that you know if I worked at an automotive uh, uh, factory and they have parts and they do something wrong on a part, they can do a recall. You can, you can recall when you have a, a light that's broken and, and it didn't work or a wire that's not connected or you know, whatever the case may be. But we can't recall these kids. We can't, we can't re- what we're getting is what we're seeing in society. We're putting out a product. Exactly, we're putting out a product and we're saying that it's the, the society's fault. We're part of society. And you see, I'm saying we, I'm not saying you, because I always, I still look at myself as a teacher. I would have never left the classroom if things hadn't been different for me, you know, professionally. But I'm in the classroom now. And I'm always going to be a teacher. Whenever I get a chance, I engage students. But we have to look at what are we actually taking the time to produce? Are we truly enhancing ourselves so that we're able to put out the best product? And I understand that it's hard, but make sure you give yourself the opportunity to gain the tools you need. The old saying is, what's in your toolbox? A lot of us were home for a year to two years almost. What did we do other than the few things that we already knew to do. Did anybody go and take online classes for SEL or um, looking for depression or identifying anxiety or identifying um, loneliness and home homelessness? Did we do any of that? Some did, a lot didn't. And some that didn't, actually the main ones complaining about why is this child doing this, that or the other. Like I said from the beginning, it's not just the instruction part when it comes to teaching. You are the third parent. You are sometimes the only parent. They have people at home that are the people that raise them, but you're parenting. 
And that's just part of the job. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that mm -hmm. we should look at teaching and saying and say, this is impossible or we shouldn't do it like this anymore. I do believe teachers deserve more money. But right now during COVID, what I see is teachers turning down money. Don't nobody want to do no tutoring. I've seen administrators offer during the day tutoring and double the money and you still don't want to do it. So in some instances, it's not about the money. You have to have the heart for it. And if you've lost the heart for it, you have to sit back and reflect and say, hey, I know what I need to do. And I know what I would expect if this was my child in front of a teacher. It's about your heart as well. You know, I can't really go, you know, in, into this the way I really would like to, because I'm going to try to remain professional. But in some instances, we, we have, yeah, that part, we're going to get to one of those where we ain't going to be professional. But this one, I, I want my teacher friends and people that I don't know that are teachers to say, hey, we at the, we're at the end of the, the year. Let's try to go as hard and as fast as we can in the best way for these kids because they deserve it. Like we've said before, like you've heard before, the parents ain't leaving their best at home. And a lot of these kids now, they're loving being back in the school. And I understand some of us are tired, but we have to catch our third and fourth win so that we can actually make sure that these kids are winning. If we don't, we're all going to lose in this situation. Yeah, um, you made another point when you talked about what were you doing during the pandemic? Um, again, a lot of people will say, well, I was surviving. That's what I was doing. I was surviving. Um, I didn't know what to do, but I was surviving. Um, you know, when we are professionals, and it goes back to talking about, you know, promoting our professions. Do we promote our profession in the right way? Uh, you know, who's been there saying that teachers don't read or or listen, right? <laughs> we, we expect students to read and listen um, because in the sense we walked into a room, uh, we feel like we've arrived. And so the things that people are telling us, um, you know, we pick and choose what we'll take and pick and choose what we'll leave. Um, however, I do want to go into the place of, as he said, we're going to have a, a lighter conversation today. Right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to be light. Correct. Um, as a professional, you're always supposed to continually grow. Um, professional development doesn't start when your principal comes in and sends you to a conference. Professional development does not start when they tell you to come into your PLCs or stay out of school or come on Saturday uh, or jump online to look at this Zoom. Uh, if somebody's telling you to do something, then you're not developing yourself. You're being professionally told to develop. And so that's not a professional development. Professional development is what you're, you expect for your doctors to do. You expect for your doctor to go out and take some more classes before they perform surgery on you. You, you, know, you, you expect for your dentist to go and take some more classes before they decide to extract their tooth. Because Absolutely. if you got a tooth extracted 10 years ago versus two years ago, you'll know that somebody somewhere started learning something different because the child, it still hurts, but it's a, it's a different process. Recovery time is a whole lot faster. What I mean by that is because they've learned that thing, the techniques have changed over the years and some of the things they continue to use is because it is continually practiced when they are going to those professional developments, then you would know in their continuous improvement, then you would know if you were always continuously improving, what techniques still work. Some people are still using techniques because they use them 10 years ago. Doesn't mean they're still relevant today. 
Now, if you went to other professional developments and you saw other colleagues talking in the in the realm of, oh, this is what we've been using, it's been used for 10 years ago, then, then it's applicable. Now, I, now again, right, best practices, right? And there are best practices that we don't deviate from that some we have deviated from. So again, that's wisdom because you've been in a profession long enough to know. But to be in a profession for five years and uh, trying to figure out why you have been paid $10,000. And if you have, you know, good job because you've been working, right? Why you haven't paid, you know, the TIA and the TEI and <laughs> all these different things that allow you to... Um, to show that you have moved students, right? But if they never paid you a dime, if they never paid you a dime, would you still move students? And so if it's contingent upon, moving students are contingent upon some money, then once again, your why is maybe a little bit jaded, right? And so if you're not going in and looking at how do I find the restorative practices, I don't need a principal or a superintendent come tell me, oh, the next thing we're going to do in our district restorative practices. Why aren't you finding those things and bring them to your principal? Why aren't you going out as a teacher leader and saying, you know what, here's some things that we should try in our schools. Now, if you're one of those teachers who have, um, you know, hey, we, we support, we celebrate you, but you'll probably say, well, I, my, my principal didn't take it. It's not about your principal taking it. You are the conductor of your own classroom. You are the star of your own show. You are the best actor or actress that walks into that school in that district, in that campus on that day for those children. Meaning if it's something that you've learned, then apply it. And when they start in, they, you know, again, if people are not receiving what you have, and I'm talking to some of y'all out there because some of y'all are actually doing this work and have Correct. never been uh, recognized for that. If they never walk in, your scores will always tell a different story. Definitely. Your scores will always tell a different story. Why? Because the relationships that you developed, and it is going back to the relationships. Y'all, I have children who tell me on a daily, I just wish my teacher treated me like a human. What does that mean? Well, when I walk into a classroom, why can't they just ask me, how was my day? How am I doing instead of get your badge out, get your folder out? You should be doing this do now. You should be working on that right now. Hey, and basic, they're looking at me. Basic restorative practices. <laughs> restorative practices. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> We're talking about SEL. Y'all want to do, you know, all these things where we keep taking away from what yeah. something is. Listen, it is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The, the need to be taken care of, the need to be fed, the need to be clothed, the need to be loved, and then you move up to become to a sexual self-actualization. So I have to have an awareness in order to self-actualize. But if my basic needs are not being met, then there is nothing that you can say or do that allow me to get to the place that you want me to be aware or to actualize what I am supposed to do for myself. And that is what we're missing in a space where it's so simple to be human. It is so simple to be human. And we're at a, I think we're at a stage now that being human means you're, you're criticizing somebody or you, you're making people feel smaller, you know, or um, being condescending when you just ask, well, how's your day today? I didn't wake up with you this morning. Yeah, I just, I just want to know how you're doing. Because again, we've gotten away from that, that we, are, we I think, we expect people to expect us to go in and be whatever they expect us to be for that day. And sometimes as teachers, it ought to be okay to say, you know what, today I'm really not okay. I used to walk in my classroom and tell my students, hey, not today. I didn't take my medicine, nor am I liking myself today. So if I'm not liking myself, then you know right now, 
I need, give me a moment so I can get this together. And if you give me a moment, I'll give you the rest of me. And those are agreements that we have in the classroom where we, we've created these norms and behaviors around expectations of how we interact with each other, how we communicate with each other. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, she hit it all on, on the nail on the head. You know, when, when it comes to just how you interact with your kids, before you can even get a child to actually do what you want them to do or learn what you want them to learn, they have to know you actually care about them. And I used to think that that was just a farce. I didn't, one, I didn't know that the things that I was doing when I first started teaching was the right thing to do. But coming from a social service background, it was natural for me. I greeted kids at the door. I looked at their disposition. I looked at their mannerisms. When I started class, before I started a bell ringer or a do now, or before I took roll, I looked at the class to see who was actually looking sleepy or lethargic. I looked at the classroom to see that who might not have the clean clothes on or had the same thing on. Those were just things that I, I brought with me to education. So it made that part just natural for me. And I think that um, a lot of teachers have forgotten that that's part of the job. Mm -hmm. And that actually helps you because when a student knows that you're actually paying attention to them, it's not just that you're calling on them when you want an answer for the information that you put on the overhead, uh, you know, in front of them, or you want them to, you know, respond to know, to get a, to, the under, to get clarity that they understand what's going on. They want to know that you care. I've pulled students, you know, before we've even gotten started with class to the side, like, hey, you good? You know, and it may be one of the roughest kids in the school. And what I've learned is that it actually makes them feel better in the moment. It may not help throughout the day, but it also builds relationships. So as things happen or as you, you know, you see that a student may have certain needs, they may come to you. You know, there are certain schools where teachers used to keep certain things in their drawers for students just for a snack or a change of a shirt, those types of things. And I do get it. Teachers do that all the time. It came out of their, their own personal income. And now certain schools have, you know, systems in place to have those things done. Mm -hmm. But some of us have gotten away from that because we forgot those things are needed now on a broader scale. It used to be where lower socioeconomic students were your, your problem kids and they were in a certain sector. What we're realizing now, especially in, the, in Texas, with the economy going up and the salaries not mean the economy, that that's across the board. I don't care where you are across the state of Texas, lower social economic is everywhere. And so there are certain needs that a student may have. And it may not even be about the social situation where they're lower. They may be middle class. They may be upper class. The need may just be the attention. You know, I've learned that there are students that come to school and they just want to talk with their teacher because they go home. And now with technology, they don't interact with their parents. Everybody's in a different space. So it goes back to, yeah, you're the instructional leader in the classroom, but you're also that fourth, fifth, and sixth parent that they have, if not, like I said again, the first parent, because they're being taken care of one way at home, but they're not being parented. And I understand sometimes we feel like I'm not their parent, but that's part of this job. That's, it just comes with the job. Mm -hmm. You know, We're not here to make people feel like teachers have to do certain things. What we're discussing is part of what you signed on for. And and a lot of times we forget it's not just about the check when it comes to this profession. It's about how you develop a human being. And I think in education that's being forgotten with the standardized testing, with the type of they, type of people they put as leaderships in schools, with the type of people that run school districts, they're becoming more robotic. We'll get into that. But right now, as far as teachers are concerned, 
we need teachers to understand that we do know that a lot of you are tired and that you're the fighters. We knew that we know that you're the front line, but we also know that some of us have forgotten that our role is just not instructional, that your role is going to be cumbersome on a lot on a large scale because there are expectations for you to be at this meeting and for you to do this kind of, of, of backlog on information and to look at data at this time of the day. And you have your own personal issues going on, but you also took on a position where you said, I would do right by educating and developing these kids. And that's literally what we've decided to do. Yeah, because again, if you can walk in a building and you see other children doing something in a school and you can keep walking and you tell yourself, well, those are not my students. Uh, I don't teach them. Again, we, we <laughs> it, it takes a village, right? And so the moment that you can't talk to a student because they're not yours, or you feel like I, you're only gonna stay in your locus of control, in meeting that whatever comes to me, that's what I'll actually deal with on a day-to-day, then, uh, you know, we we really miss the ball, which is why students know that they're invisible. You know, that That's why they know. Listen, they already changed teachers. They're going to probably change teachers in one school year two to three times because we, we've lost teachers. Some of them, a lot of your districts don't have school, I mean, have substitutes. They don't have teachers. And so these babies are being passed from one person to another. How do you expect them to attach themselves to you? Because in their minds, you'll leave too. You, you'll, you'll leave too. You'll leave them just like everybody else did. You'll leave just like whatever situation is happening at the, at the house. You have so many conditions that are happening right now that our students have just become numb to them. And so that's why they're responding the way they're responding. Again, if you lose your phone as a teacher, I've seen grownups cry down a hallway when I see the grown-ups leave in the middle of the day because they lost their phone. But as soon as you get a student who loses their phone, you sit down and be like, oh, well, that's what you get. You should have put it up. No phones allowed in the school anyways. Well, why is it no phones allowed for them, but their phones allowed for you? So listen, this is where we keep saying that these are lines because in this day and age, we haven't evolved to the world that they're even living in. They live in in a world where three-year-olds can walk around with a cell phone. Everything is accessible. That's what we talk about. We want them to be able to grow up and adapt to a world that is accessible, that is attainable in their own eyes. And so technology is accessible. So that means if they don't have it, they can access it. And that means their behaviors will be different. But here's another, here's the extension of that. If you have great level kids who are losing cell phones, the first thing you probably should do is stop at some point and allow them to call their parents because you don't know that they're sitting in your classroom now probably scared that they don't know what's going to happen to them when they get home. They don't know if they can even call their parents. Parents, they're walking home. They don't even know that their babies lost their phones. Like, again, where is the pot where we're human? I know there are policies, but there's also policies say we acknowledge the policy, but here's where we're still human in the policy. No one's telling you to negate a policy. We're telling you because the policy exists, what else do I have to do to work around to make sure that my baby still has his mental capacity to do this work? I think, yeah, I think what's happened in education is that because there have been so many um, things added to what teachers say to their plate, um, they've lost some of the humanistic aspects of the, the role. They don't realize that, hey, this student may need the phone because, and a lot of times I've seen where some students don't even have anything other than Wi-Fi. The phone may not even work until it gets right. to school. And that's the only way they communicate with either their mother who may be at home and may be wheelchair bound or 
they communicate with their sibling on who to who to pick them up or how they're going to get picked up or some of these kids now you know they uber so they they contact uber through this process but i say that to say that's not an excuse like Flynn was saying that's not an excuse for them to just be out with the phone but at the same time if you're a person who's being aware of your students that's when you have a conversation with them versus just saying give me your phone you can't have your phone because they feel the same way about their phone as you do about yours we have to start being more humanistic when it comes to our kids mm -hmm. you have to learn how to interact and i say have to learn we need to learn again how to interact with them yes some of our kids socially are inept period but I've known educators to walk through a hall and speak to kids two or three times. By that fourth time, that child speaks back. A lot of times our kids don't engage because the adults don't engage them. Let me say that again. I know that a lot of kids don't engage because adults don't engage them. Some of us do come from an era where we grew up where as a child, you speak to an adult, but that goes back to what I said earlier. Things change. Our society has changed. People are fearful of engaging. People don't engage. People are in silos. Now you have to engage the child sometimes for them to understand this is a norm. When you pass by someone, you speak. And I had to teach kids that now they say, hey, Mr. Pope, like, hey, baby, how you doing? I got to get, get used to this um, pronoun thing. That's what I got to get used to because I'm like, hey, baby, ain't your, whatever your name is today. How, how you doing? And they fall out laughing. But what has happened is I've built a relationship <laughs> to actually engage with them. And I don't care what they are. They, they still love to talk to Mr. Poole or any adult who has learned how to acknowledge them because that's all that a lot of them really want. A lot of them don't get acknowledgement anymore for whatever reason. So as the educator, it's not, once again, about just the instruction. It's about the love that you give. And most educators, that's who you are. Yeah. It's just gotten to a point where you're tired. We get it. Or you feel unappreciated. We yeah. get it. Or you're dealing with someone in your administrative team that doesn't understand certain things. We get it. Or you're dealing with parents. But I'm telling you, if you go back to the professional aspect of what a teacher is, it's the instructional person. It's the caregiver. It's the person that the student comes to when they in, they're in need you know how to call a parent when they're doing great and when they're doing bad, you're going to have a better outcome when it comes to your kids. I tell people all the time, I used to bring my lunch, go in my classroom. I never knew about the other stuff going on outside the building, outside my classroom. And, my, and I ended up being team lead. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. But he saw my principal was like, dude, you doing some things in here. And I was like, I focus on my kids. I focus on my kids, period. And that's what we've gotten away from is focusing on the children. Just focus on what you need to do to enhance them and do it the appropriate way. You're going to win every day. Yeah, as we're wrapping up, just remember to, to plant the seed. Plant the seed because that seed will grow into a tree for one and will one day shade the legacies that you are leave, leaving behind. Again, oh, that that was really good though. Um, <laughs> um, 
they they are you are planting trees that will shade that will provide shade for the legacies that you will leave behind mm -hmm. y'all we don't get a chance to change this these will these babies will one day be your doctors they may one day be your uber drivers i never want to walk on a plane i told my students i'm never walking on a plane and looking at and watching you be the pilot and be like hmm who let you through <laughs> because i knew that if i saw them in the seat it's because I gave them something that allowed them to be there. And it is the greatest joy. And every teacher understands that it is the greatest joy to see your students who one day grow up and come back and say one little thing or to even remember your name. Because if they remember who you are, you were you were impactful one way or another, good, bad, all together, Absolutely. that it was out of love because now they remembered you. And so now I want to leave one challenge for all the teachers, one challenge. I dare you to, to at least write down, if you only have 20 students, but if you have more than 20, find 20 students, write their names down on a sheet of paper and write down who they are to become. What do you see in them? And then when you write it down by all their names, when you see them, all I want you to do is go back and whisper life in, back into them. Speak life into them. You say one day, hey, Pooh, I see sometimes that you get a little a defensive in my class and I see that, you know, you always have an argument. I see the attorney that you will become one day and I speak that over your life. Whether or not you want it, just know that it's in you to to do that. And so Absolutely. wherever you want to go, I challenge you to be that baby, to be that leader and, and not my baby that you are right now. But again, y'all speak life into our children. There's power in the tongue and our children are waiting for you to remember your why again and to continue to water them as they're in your classrooms. That's it. I mean, do your job and love them. That's your job is to love them. Love them. Love them. And again, we love teachers. We love this profession. Exactly. And that's why we're here today to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. But you know what? When talk when we talk about it, it puts us in a place and it puts us in a place to take charge, to take action, to make it better. And so as long as that we're here, we expect you to be there and just know that um, where there's a pool in D, there's a supporter of the teacher. <laughs> there's a lover of this profession. Yeah. And until next time, y'all. You tuned in with the school team with Pool and D. I'm Pool. And I'm D. Thank y'all.